Well, you heard from Robbie. Robbie talked about his father and the father and his mother and how they meant so much and shaped them even in his young faith. We are here on Father's Day and we want to shape your faith. We want your children's faith to be shaped. Now, here's one thing that's so true. No, no amount of last week's CIY junior high youth camp will totally transform your children's life. And this coming week, the biggest week of the year for children's ministry at Grace Point, elementary age ministry at Grace Point, Adventure Point Day Camp. How many of y'all are working at that? Raise your hand. Give a big hoot for them. Thank you. A little hoot for them. Okay, a big hoot next time. Uh, but anyway, these, yes, thank you. These people will be giving a week, some taking a week of vacation just to serve our children. Listen, no amount of CIY camp, no amount of Adventure Point Day Camp is going to change completely Give all the faith download that your children or your youth need. It's going to take, like Robbie, moms, dads, investing, loving, caring, giving, making sure, listen up, making sure that the faith that we talk about here is the faith that's lived out there at home. And if there's ever duplicity between the two, guess which one the children are going to go with? They're going to go with the, the easiest path. They're going to go with the one that's modeled. They're going to go, likely go with mom and dad. So what we have to, as moms and dads, we have to truly assess what kind of faith are we transferring onto the next generation. Is it expressed? Is it exercised? Is it in line? And I don't know where you are in, in, your, in your faith, but we come on a Father's Day, you come on a Mother's Day, and it's like you're just supposed to talk about the family. All right, and I, I don't know where you're at on mother and fathers and all that kind of stuff, but I heard one person say it like this. Mother's Day, it's just not fair. It was a father speaking, okay? I, I have to disclose who it was. He says, it's not fair because mothers come on Mother's Day and they get flowers and pretty dresses and told how wonderful they are. I thought, yeah, that's about right. And then fathers come on Father's Days and are given ugly ties and uh, they're told how bad they are and how they need to become a better dad. That's not my goal, all right? It's not my goal to berate the fathers in the room today or parents in the room in any way. But I am going to try to raise the bar to make sure that our family, plural, are getting the faith that we talk about, that we teach about, that we want to transfer on. Adelaide Stevenson said it like this, Fatherhood is a career imposed on you without any inquiry as to your fitness. Listen, it's one thing to make a baby. It's another thing to raise a child. And whether or not we are ready or whether or not we're able to raise that next generation is a very big question. And a lot of it determines the quality of environment that we raise them in. Now, some of you all know my story. And so I'm going to tell uh, bits and pieces of my story. I did not grow up in a real highly functional family in the sense that there was a consistent father figure. And I had to draw from a lot of other good father figure examples in my life. Coaches, teachers, Sunday school teachers, professors even. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. These are people that became models and examples to me that I could look to and learn from and hopefully re-correct the, the family brokenness that had been for generations in some sides of my family. One of the things I want my three kids, our three kids, to walk out of our home with, without any shadow of a doubt, is that mom and dad lived what they talked about and they loved us unconditionally. They lived what they talked about 
and they loved us unconditionally. There was no duplicity and absolutely, absolutely, they loved us hands down. How do you love a child? How do you love your children? Think about this for a moment. Let's learn from the preeminent father of us all, and that being God the Father. Take your Bibles, be finding the book of Romans, or excuse me, the book of Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that is very dense in theology. It's got a lot of different elements in there. We're not going to do it justice, so I'm just going to put that disclaimer up on the, on the beginning. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that the breadth, the depth of it is very deep and very wide. The implications, the ramifications of it theologically and on our personal faiths in life, I cannot cover in this message. In fact, I'm going to skip over a lot of the front end and go right to the bottom. We're going to be talking about when Jesus was baptized. Now, that's a message unto itself. Why was he baptized? Who baptized him? What does that mean? As you see John's ministry going down, you see Jesus' ministry uh, elevating. It's, it's kind of a, this whole handing of the baton off, at, which is what God designed it to be in any way. But we're not going to go there. We're not going there. We're not talking about that today as much as we're going to talk about God the Father's response to Jesus' baptism. And what he said. Now, again, we've got we to look at this. One of the densely packaged elements of this passage is you see God at work in his fullness. When I say fullness, I'm talking about the Trinity, the three parts of God that make up God in his whole, okay? There are three distinct identities or three distinct modes of God. Hypostasis is what uh, Millard Erickson calls it. It's where these three parts are three individual parts, but yet they're three parts of a whole. The Trinity, one person said it like this, the Trinity, try to explain the Trinity and you will lose your mind. Deny the Trinity and you will lose your faith. The Council of Constantinople in, in 381 said it's the undivided, divided persons. The undivided divided persons. And this, this moment in time when, when, when Jesus is baptized and it, it's a beautiful moment in the Jordan River and as it unfolds there and the implications, again, I'm not going to even be able to touch that. In fact, baptism has been so important that Jesus put his stamp on it by his own example. That we, ever since then, believers, followers of Jesus, have been identifying with Jesus in baptism. It's one of the the, the ordinances of the church. It's one of the most significant elements of uh, an entire walk with God. It doesn't make you anything, but it symbolizes everything, all right? It's kind of like this ring doesn't make me married, but it symbolizes that I am married. Our next baptism is going to be in, in August, August 23rd. So if you are new to the faith, if you have made that new confession, or if you are just now at that point and say, hey, Mike, I'm ready. I'm following Jesus. Let's do this. Then this is, uh, this is an important date, and you can sign up for that online. But let's look at Matthew 3. Maybe you find it by, found it by now, and let's begin reading in verse 13, because here's the question I want to answer from this passage today. How do you love your children? How do you love the next generation? They don't have children. Okay. How do you love your neighbors? How do you, how do you, how do you love your nieces and nephews? How do you love people even within this room? How do you love them? How do you love them? Let's look at uh, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came to, uh, from Galilee to Jordan to John 
to be baptized to, John, to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would, uh, would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered, let it be, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all the righteousness. Then he consented. Verse 16, and Jesus was baptized. Immediately he went up from the water. That's why we have the symbol of baptism is by immersion. Is because Jesus, what, the water wasn't poured on him, but he came up out of the water. It's what we call believer's baptism. Now again, not going to be talking about baptism today. Not going to say any more really uh, uh, emphasizing trying to establish the Trinity. I want to focus on the rest of the verses. Because what happens next is a beautiful expression of love. From God the Father to the Son. Moms and dads, how do we love our children? Hopefully we can learn to love our children the way God the Father loved God the Son. Three, pers- three kinds of love every person needs, all right? Three kinds of love you need. You may be sitting there alone, feeling alone in a room full of people. You need this kind of love. You need to be in a marital relationship with this kind of love. You need to give this kind of love to the next generation, to your children, to your grandchildren. This is the kind of love that we all need. It's the kind of love that God the Father gave God the Son. Again, divided but whole, all individually together. If you look at verse 16, you find it here. The beautiful thing happens. He comes up out of the water, and then it says in verse 16, And immediately he went up out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened on him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove coming to rest on him. Now let me point this out. What we're talking about here is a blessing. What we're talking about is a blessing. There's a book that I read when I was a sophomore. I was about a junior in college, and I wouldn't have picked it out. I wouldn't have read it myself, but a professor pulled me aside. He said, I want you to come to my home. I want to pour into you. And he, he, along with about six other college students and I, we would go every Friday, mor- or Friday morning at 6 a.m. and we'd sit into his living room and we would share together, pray together, grow together. And one of the books he handed us was a book called The Blessing by John Trent and Gary Smalley. And I did not realize what I was missing until I read that book. Growing up in the broken, fra- fractured home that I, that I grew up in, I did not realize that I was missing something that they called The Blessing. I would recommend everyone in this room read The Blessing because you need to, number one, give it away, but you can't give it away if you don't have it. And so learning how and learning what The Blessing is is exactly what we're talking about today, is exactly what God the Father did when He gave it to God the Son. And the first way He loved Him is He loved Him through meaningful touches. Now, we just read a verse. I want to read it to you again. And He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him, to physically be on him. I want you to just imagine that. I don't know. It says it was like uh, it was like a dove. I don't know if it was a dove. I don't know what happened here. But there's something mystical, spiritual, physical that happened where God the Spirit came down and lighted on, rested on, sat on, became physically attached to Jesus when he came up out of the water. Now, why is that important? Why is that important? Because this is what's important about it. We all need meaningful touches. 
And in this moment in time when Jesus is launching into his ministry, in this moment in time when Jesus is literally going from this scene to the wilderness for the next 40 days and to be tempted by Satan, at this time he needs a meaningful touch from God himself. Now what is the Spirit going to do as it rests on Jesus? Well, hundreds of years prior to this, in the book of Isaiah, this was what was prophesied about what the Spirit would do on the life of Jesus. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him in the spirit of wisdom and understanding, in the spirit of counsel and might, in the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Jesus would receive that, that spirit of knowledge and that spirit of wisdom and that spirit of, of power and might. And what did Jesus end up doing? He ended up healing. He ended up teaching. He ended up having all this tremendous wisdom. He ended up becoming a rabbi. He was a tremendous... How does that happen? Because God reached down and touched him. Let me say this to you. I want you to hear this. Touch. Meaningful touches are powerful on a person's life. Meaningful touches are passed. Sadly, though, sadly, our children might remember a lot of things about life, but will they remember the most meaningful touches you give them? Sometimes our children will remember the violent touches. And sometimes the only time we touch our children would be in a disciplinary manner. And I, listen, I'm, I'm a person that as we were raising our kids and they were younger, we had no problem with a, with a swat on the backside or, or anything. So I'm not trying to speak against that. But what I am trying to say, is that the only time you touch your children? Meaningful touches. They make a difference. Science has proven it. They make a difference. UCLA did a study on the emotional, physical effects on the health of an individual's life. And this is what they found, that most individuals need 8 to 10 meaningful touches a day. You, wherever you are and whoever you're with and whatever, you need to be in a relationship where there are 8 to 10 meaningful touches a day. Meaningful embraces, meaningful pats on the back, meaningful handshakes, meaningful hugs in some manner or form. You say, I don't need that. Yes, you do. You need that. Type A people need it worse. Did you realize this? In that same study, they found that type A people, if you will touch them uh, in these meaningful, safe, I must say that, okay, safe ways, they will actually, type A people's lives will be extended two years. So now, if you have a type A person in your life and they're driving you crazy, just don't touch them and they'll die early. So that's, that's something to think about. It's up to you. But if you want them to live longer, touch them meaningfully in loving kind of ways. Let me say to the creepers out there, listen, it's mutual touches, okay? It's mutual, but we're both agreeing with this, okay? It's not me touching you and you're, not, you're like moving away and, and, well, I don't need to say any more about that. All right, it's mutually. Researchers of the University of Miami, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a touch institute, but there is. Medical School of Touch Research Institute. They did a study on two, premature babies that were born. Premature babies that were born, and they were, they were in uh, that, that, that preemie state, and they had uh, this little experiment that went on, and they took these babies over here, and they gave them 30-minute massage, no, 45-minute massages each day. These babies, sadly, did not receive that kind of tender, loving care of massages of these preemies. 
Over the course of time, they found that the children that received the massages, 45 minutes, 47% of them had greater weight gain than those children who were not touched regularly. And actually, they could measure the bone growth of the children that were touched. I'm saying this to you again. Even if you're the kind of person who likes your space, you need to be touched. Meaningfully touched. Whenever Isaac blessed Jacob, he embraced him with a kiss. Now, this is a grown man kissing another grown man. I know it doesn't fit our culture, and I'll share more about that personally in a moment. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and he kissed him. When Jesus was walking through a crowded streets, a woman reached out and touched the hem of his garment. And just knowing that touching the hem of his garment would bring healing to her body, and it did. When the disciples were pushing the children away because he was too busy, too important, too, too much going on in his life for children to come to him, this is what was said in Luke 18. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. I love that statement. It wasn't that he might, he might uh, teach them. It wasn't that he might heal them. It wasn't that he might, uh, you know, just see them and name them. It was just the power of a meaningful touch. Touch them. Disciples pushed them away, rebuked them, and they rebuked them. And Jesus called them to him and said, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Even in the early church in Romans sixteen sixteen, he said, Greet each other with a holy kiss. Paul told young Timothy, When you find a young brother, when you find a brother who's mature in the faith, lay hands on him so that he can become a leader in the faith. Touch is powerful, meaningful touches to the ones you love. I'll tell you a personal story from my own life. I was about seven or eight. I can remember it so well. I can remember seven or eight. It was a holiday, and it was a bunch of family in a room. And I can remember at the end of this holiday celebration going up to one man. Again, it's eight, seven, eight years old maybe. And I'm going up to another man who's a relative of mine, safe, all secure, all out in the open. And I reached up and I kissed this relative of mine. And to this day, and I'm not naming who this is, but he pushed me back and said, men don't kiss men. And I can tell you this, I never kissed that man again. And neither did I ever get close to that man again. I was a six, seven, eight-year-old. When your kids want to kiss you, embrace them. Hold them. Touch them. They need it. They crave it. They long for it. Medical Doctor, a great book you need to read, written by Dr. Ross Campbell. Sold over a million copies. He says, in all my reading and experience, I have never known of one sexually disoriented person who had a warm, loving, and affectionate father. It's an amazing book. You need to read it, but you need to hear that statement right there. Touch is powerful. When Jesus was about to go into the wilderness, what did God do? But he sent the dove down and he touched him. Second, 
way that we love each other, we love our children, is we express high value. I love this statement that begins to unfold. If you look closely at verse 17, and we'll spend the rest of our time just on verse 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said this. What did the voice from heaven say? This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. This is a beautiful statement. Don't fly past it. Don't skip over it. Don't make light of it. It's going to be said again. It's going to be said another time. And we'll read later in the Gospels. When this is a beautiful statement where God the Father speaks to his son. And he says, you are mine. There's a sense of belonging. No one needs to go through life alone. They need to be belonging to someone, connected to someone, related with someone. And he says, you are mine. And not only that, you're loved. You're loved. See, everyone needs to belong and everyone needs to be loved. And that's exactly what you see in this passage. Where God the Father looks at His Son about to go into ministry, about to go into to, to, to real life, about to go into all that's out there awaiting Him, crucifixion and so much more. And as He goes, He says, listen, you belong to me and I value you. We need to express high value to the next generation. A life principle for you. Before you honor the behavior Embrace the person. Before you honor the behavior, and yes, you should appraise the behavior. Yes, they did good. Yes, your, your grades are good. Yes, you performed well in that play. Yes, you did well on the dance. And yes, you, you did well in that performance. Yes, yes, you played well on the field. Yes, yes, you do that. But before that, make sure it's ingrained in the very heart and the fabric of that child that you are first accepted. You first belong. Before he ever said the next phrase, the father said to the son, he first said, you are mine and you are loved. You belong to me. There's a sense of ownership, a sense of belonging. I want two questions to ask about your family, your environment, your context and where you live. Is there a pride of belonging to your family? Notice that Jesus received from his father that sense of belonging. You are mine. You know, if I was living, if I was in Chicago right now, eating on Michigan Avenue, and, and I said, yeah, I'm from, I'm from Walmart. My last name's Walton. The person sitting across the table from me, the first person they're going to think, they're going to think, oh, you're one of the Waltons, right? I mean, it's just a natural, maybe so, maybe you're a Walton. The point being is that there's a value attached to belonging to certain people. There's billions of dollars attached to being to the Walton name. There's a sense of so much more when God looks down from heaven and he says, you're mine. You belong to me. You jot this in the margin of your Bibles, John chapter 1, verse 12. For as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You become a child of God when you believe and trust and give your life over fully and completely to him. But let's talk about your family. Is there a pride, a sense of belonging in your family? 
We, we've been saying with our kids for many, many years, growing up as they would go on dates, as they would go to the school events or church events or they would move, or they would go out of town or whatever, they'd go off to college, we would say this to them, remember you're a McDaniel, remember you're a McDaniel. I don't know what that means. It doesn't mean a lot, really. You can't buy anything with that. You know, but, but hey, we wanted to instill in them a sense of value. Yes, and you're a McDaniel, live to a higher standard. Our kids got to where they liked it. They valued it. And when Jordan, our oldest, got married a year ago, Lori was creative and she went out and got T-shirts and said, remember, you're a McDaniel. And now we had to change her. She's a McGrath now. (laughs) But underneath that, she's still a McDaniel. She still belongs. Is there a sense of pride, of belonging to your family? The second question, does the love of your home build character and honor? You are my son. I love you. You have the highest character, the highest calling. You, you, son of God, you, Jesus Christ, you belong to me and I belong to you and I have loved you and I love you. There's, a, there's this high calling, there's this, this character that comes out of belonging to God. There's something that, that I've, we've done with, with all of our kids, but about six years ago, or so ago, I took our firstborn son on a father-son trip. Lori has taken Jordan on, on several trips to just kind of pour into them. And about six years ago, I took Caleb to Australia on a fathering adventures trip. In eight days, I'm taking Josh. I can't wait. I'm taking Josh back to Australia for another fathering adventures trip. It's not just adventures. It's actually a pouring in and calling out. At the end of the, of, the, of the time there, there will actually be a knighting process where we will knight him into manhood. All these Aussie dads will knight their sons. In there. I'll be the only foreigner there. I'll be the, uh, the, the hick from the sticks. And I'm going to be there knighting my son into manhood. The last time I went with, with Caleb on the plane over, I read a book, Fathered by God, by John Eldridge. It's become one of my favorite books to call men and to call families up. It says this, in a a core way, that is essential to the masculine journey. The bestowing of the mantle on beloved sons needs to come from the father. Fathers, call your children up. May your love be a love that builds character and honor into the next generation. But there's a third way we love. High value is one, yes. But here's another one. Give words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. If you go back to verse 17, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. The meaningful touch of God sending the Spirit upon Jesus was one form, meaningful touches. Uh, That high value, you're my son, you belong to me, we belong to each other, I love you, period. But then we give words of affirmation. The son in whom I am well pleased. Now listen, this is more than just a high five, attaboy, all that kind of stuff. Let me just say this. Write this down if you're taking notes. It needs to be thoughtful and timely. Listen, don't, 
Google cute sayings to say to your son, okay? Don't just go buy a Hallmark card and sign it. Thoughtful. Learn to express words and feelings, moms and dads, in such a way that you will express to your child the value that they are. A son in whom I am well pleased but also timely. Notice this, that it happens at the very time that Jesus comes up out of the water, at the very epic moment of the launching of his ministry. Who is there? But his father is there. His father is there at that epic moment. Another time when, when Jesus is, 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 is uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, and, and this is, again, an epic moment in the ministry, and it's this heavenly scene. In fact, the disciples wanted to build a, a special place of worship on that, on, that, on that holy mountain at that time. But this is what, again, you hear the same words in Matthew 17, verse 5. It says, He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This, notice this phrase, My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then he said, Listen to him. He adds a phrase, Listen to him. Thoughtful and timely are the words that we need to give the people in our life. That's how we show love. Thoughtful and timely. Look at the past. Look at the past. That's one of the ways. Affirm the right living. What are they doing right? Jesus, you're launching a ministry. You're launching your life. You're going into this. It's going to be tough. You're going in the wilderness right after this. Hey, I'm pleased about this. I'm pleased with you. You're doing a good work. Also future. It affirms their life to come. Now I want you to notice the sequence. Don't miss this. This is beautiful because some of y'all did not get the blessing growing up. You didn't get it. I'm sorry. I didn't either. My mother gave me the blessing, but I never got it from a biological father. I never got it from a stepdad. I had to be outside sources. I had to figure it out on my own. And here, listen, what I'm about to tell you. Let's stop it in this generation. And let's make sure the next generation gets it. Let's make sure our nieces and nephews get it. Let's make sure they get it. How do we do that? We rewrite it. We rewrite the family tree. It's a beautiful thing that happens. God the Father gives the blessing to God the Son. Touching, speaking high value, speaking words of affirmation. But listen, listen, listen. He does, and then Jesus turns around and does it to his disciples. Let me tell you of one incident, and it will be enough, and I'll be finished. One incident is whenever was there a guy named Simon was in his mix. Was one of his peeps hanging with him, learning, growing, seeing all the stuff going on. His name was Simon. Simon Bar-Jonah was his full name. I means Simon, the son of Jonah. He was a Galilean fisherman. That's all he was. And then he met Jesus. And Jesus, I'm sure, touched him. I'm sure Jesus spoke high value into him. Jesus gave him words of affirmation. And I know that because on the day at Caesarea Philippi, when Peter was, was ripe for, for these words, Peter, Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Simon, excuse me, you're now, your new name is Peter. And Peter means rock. You're a rock, Peter. 
And on you, I'm going to build my church. So what did Jesus do? He spoke words of affirmation over Peter. What did Peter do? He failed immediately. We'll say that for another message. But anyway, you go on and he fails again. That's okay because he picks him back up and he dusts him off three times. He denies him, picks him back up. And then Peter starts a movement. Listen, you're going to affirm your kids and they're going to fall on their face. Pick them back up, dust them off, affirm them. You're a rock, Peter. And Peter becomes the rock that starts a movement that you and I are living in today called the church. I had a coach, and I've told you this story before, so I'll save a lot of the details. When I was in junior high, I kind of got to this point when I could go here or I could go here. I couldn't go here. That was where all the smart kids went, okay? I wasn't in that category. I could either go the route of the drugs, that's when I first got introduced to drugs and drinking and all that comes with that, or I could go the route of playing sports and jocks, being the jock. This was easier. These guys, they were accepting me. They were calling me in. This was where I went. And I was going to be heading down that path for a long, dark road. But there was one guy, coach, Coach C came up, put his arm around me, meaningful touch, in the hallway at school and said, hey, I think you would be a good defensive end on our football team. High value. I didn't even know what a defensive end was, okay? But I had somebody. I had a man in my life that was putting his arm around me was speaking high value into me. He said, you could become something. I see something in you. There's something in there. I went from that track to this track in a matter of one decision. Now, the next year I played football and I was the defensive end. Our team lost every single game that year. (laughs) It did. I kid you not. It's in the records. It's in history. We couldn't even beat Bentonville. All right. I'm a local boy. I know it. Bimbo wasn't even good back then, but we were worse. All right? And um, the coaches in the conference and my coaches, Coach C, voted me all-conference defensive end. Now, what does that mean on a winless team? It means nothing except for there was a coach who believed in me, spoke high value into me, And then gave me words of affirmation. You did well. You did well. Listen, that's what love is. That's when love is expressed. In your children, in your spouse, to the next generation, in any relationship, in healthy love must be expressed. The Father saying to you and me today, listen, I want you and I want you, and I want you, and I want you to be my child. That's what, that's what the Father's saying. And to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And I'll tell you this, the same, the same, the same love that the Father had for Jesus as his son is the same love that the Father will have for you as his child. Do you know him as your father? If you don't, there's so much you're missing out on. You may be like me. Didn't have the best father example. How do you make up for that? 
One of the ways you make up with that is by getting to know the Heavenly Father. I'm going to close with one more story. I'm going to pray. But this is so true. And my mother told me this years ago because I'd go out in the front yard and I'd want to play catch with her. She couldn't catch a ball. I'd want to play hot pepper with her. She couldn't. We tried. And there were three boys of us and divorce home, all that kind of stuff. And she told me this one night that she came in and prayed over all three of us that were all staying in the same bedroom. And she said, I can't be their father, but I can be their mother. So father, would you be their father? And I, whatever miss, things I missed, I'll have to say there was tremendous grace given to me by my heavenly father. And there can be the same in you as well. Would you bow your heads with me? Some of y'all are here today and you just, you're hurting. You're hurting because today you realize you've never received the blessing. The blessing of meaningful, safe, loving touches. I mean, from your father, from your mother, or, or maybe even from the person you're married to. God wants to give it to you. In some kind of mystical, spiritual way, He wants to give you that meaningful touch. He wants to give that high value to you. He wants to give you that words of affirmation. And I just want everyone praying for the people on your right and your left and praying for yourself right now. And if you're here in this room and you say, Mike, I'm one of those. I don't know that I've ever received God's blessing. I want, I want to be a child of God. Maybe it's you. I want to be a child of God so I can get the blessing of His fatherhood in my life. And if you're here today and you can say, Mike, I want to be a child of God. And would you pray for me? I'm not going to call you out, but I just want you to put your hand up and put it down. Put it up and put it down. Anybody? I want to be a child of God. Thank you. This is your time. I want to pray for you. Father, you know the hearts of everyone in this room. And you know the needs of everyone in this room. And we can't run from your love and we can't get away from your love and we can't trash your love. Lord, you embrace us and you love us unconditionally. It's not about our behavior, Lord. It's about whose we are. And you will love and correct us into the life that you want us to live. Lord, would you, would you work in this room right now and would you comfort and encourage those that are feeling the loss of not having that level of love in their life? The blessing. And those in this room that, Lord, raise their hand or in their hearts are crying out, I want to be a child of God. I want that love. I want that spiritual relationship with Jesus. Lord, would you help them right now to know you, give themselves fully to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing with us? Would you let the song be sung over you and just declare the greatness of our God and how much He loves us?